I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Hi, this is Newt. Due to the virus, I'm recording from home. So you may notice a difference in audio quality. On this episode of Newt's World... We're really going to talk about the daring adventures of Sister Orla Tracy, who is our guest and is a great friend of both Callista and me. And we admire so much what she's done. To give you a sense of how different her world is, as I welcome Sister Orla, who is actually brown cow with a white face. And she can tell you what my name would be in Dinka. And then we're going to talk about why cows are so important and work our way back to what she's doing at the school. It is wonderful to have you with us, Sister Brown Cow with a White Face. <laughs> Thank you, Bull with the White Hair, Mabor, if that's okay, <laughs> if I can call you that news at this stage. It's lovely to be with you. I live in South Sudan and I work among the Dinka community and we love our cows and our bulls. And we so, name ourselves after the cows and bulls. So given your beautiful white hair, if you come to Rumbek, we would probably call you Mabor. If you go further afield in the Dinka land, you could be Mabior. So you're also welcome, Mabor, to South Sudan. We'll greet you from South Sudan. It's lovely to be with you as well. And you're in Rumbek, South Sudan, right? In the town of Rumbek, we're right in the center of the country of South Sudan. Uh, nice town. We're living about eight kilometers from the town. So we would consider ourselves villagers that were living in village life. There is a, a town beside us of Rumbek, but we live in a nice community. You've been there amazingly since 2006. 
haven't things changed significantly in that 14 year period? I don't think South Sudan existed then, did they? No, it's true. As a congregation, we're Loretto Sisters, otherwise known as the uh, Institute of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And we had a very daring adventure in 2003-2004. Our leadership called it the courage to move. And they invited our sisters in the different countries to reclaim our missionary spirit and to refound new missions in new countries. So sisters went to different countries and the Irish sisters accepted the invitation to come to what was then known as Southern Sudan. And Southern Sudan, when we arrived, they had just ended the second Anyanya II, which was another 20 years of war. And they had signed a peace agreement. It was known as the Comprehensive Peace Agreement. And we just came in at the beginning of that peace agreement. It was very exciting because part of the peace agreement was to look at the possibility of independence. Would South Sudan look for independence or not? I remember the president, Salva Kiir, coming to visit us in Rambeck in 2007 and saying, we're not rebuilding South Sudan, we're building it. Sometimes when you see pictures of Syria and Afghanistan, you see cities being rebuilt after war. We were never built. So we were starting from the ground up and it was full of hope. 2011, it was fantastic. Over 99% of the population voted for independence. But sadly, in 2013, we went back into a new civil war, which has created a different environment and a different spirit for us. But people are still very strong. People are still very courageous and ambitious for wanting a new spirit in a new land. And you've been a part of that because from the time you got there, didn't you develop both a school and to some extent a medical system? We live in a beautiful village here, Makarakwe, and we have a very persuasive chief and elders. They're really wonderful people, but they like encouraging us to more. We're also an Ignatian congregation, so that idea of magis and more is probably buys into it for us a little bit. It was very clear when we came, the bishop had invited us in the diocese to begin a girls boarding secondary school. Now in 2006, there were four girls in our state in secondary school. So when we arrived, the people thought we were mad. They were wondering why we had come to educate girls when girls weren't even going to primary school. But we had a great foundress 400 years ago and she used to say women in time will do great things. And she also suffered a lot of her own injustices and challenges in life. So we were not to be put off. We started a boarding school for girls. 35 girls came in the beginning. Half of them were nearly gone by the end of the first year. But we have been very blessed. The school has prospered. And then as the school was settling down, the chiefs knocked on the door and said, now you have a secondary school, but what about our own children in the village? They're not even going to primary school. So we started a simple primary school under the tree with some of the local teachers. The primary school now is actually our bigger project. We have 1,200 boys and girls, whereas the secondary school is 300 girls. And then, of course, the chief, not happy with enough, he came back for more and he said, what about a clinic? We need healthcare." And it's true. One of the challenges in South Sudan, aside from education, is healthcare. So in 2016, we started a clinic for the local community. And that's been a great outreach to the community as well. He has come back looking for a university, so we've told him to relax. We've hopefully done enough, and hopefully the graduates will be the ones to do more as time goes on. You know, we have that traditional Catholic model of missionaries. We come, start, educate, and healthcare. 
And I think that's been very important in South Sudan, where our literacy, I think we're among some of the worst in the world. And girl-child education is also very sadly lacking as well. They would say statistically over 52% of girls are married by the age of 18. So it's very hard for a girl to go to school. It's extremely hard for a girl to finish school. But thank God our girls have prospered. Many of them are going on to university and we're seeing the fruits of it now because the first graduates are back working with us. We have three of our graduates now working with us after finishing university. So that's been great to live through the whole process with them as well. So you were really a startling impact in terms of Dinka culture, weren't you? The, aren't the Dinkas the dominant tribe in your area? Yeah, and I consider myself a Dinka as well in all of this. Strong, brave, courageous, determined would be some of the words I would probably use. But in the last years, even along with the Nawer tribe, they've probably suffered the most of the tribes because of the recent wars. So if I go around the village, I'm 47, if I go around the village, I won't find an adult male or female educated within 10 or 20 years of me. It's the young generation now that are getting a chance to be educated because the last war, it was the Nawer Dinka, let me say, war against the North. So a lot of the communities would have suffered within those tribal areas. But the recovery is there. They're very ambitious people. Our girls are really strong and determined. What might make us give up? It's almost like an energy for the girls to keep going. If they know that there is an obstacle, they will want to face it and they will want to challenge it. And that's probably one of the reasons why they have done so well, despite all of the trauma and the challenges as well. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. 
can you explain a little bit, because I was fascinated the first time we had a chance to have dinner and talk about this, the central importance of cows to Dinkas and of the girls to the cow economy and why that posed a unique challenge for you in getting young girls to be able to go to school. Can you just walk through that entire culture? Yeah, we love cows. I think I have seen pictures of American cows and ranches, but you have no idea. Even Irish, we love our cows, but nothing like specifically, I'll talk about the Dinka, how we love our cows. Young men will groom their cows. They will name their children after their favorite bulls. They will sing songs about their bulls. Their whole life revolves around the care of their animals. They will sleep with them in what we call cattle camps. We're pastoralists, so we move with the cows where there is water. The cow is the defining identity for the young man. And when a young man comes to marry, he must have cows. If he doesn't have cows, he doesn't marry. That's the greatest insult you can call a man, is a man without cows. That's the big curse word for us. When a young man marries, we're a collectivist community. So his uncles, his family, his extended family, all the males will join together and contribute for the bride wealth. And then they will approach the girl's family displaying the cows and the bulls that they have to offer. And the girl's family, again, the male members of the family will agree or disagree depending on what they see and how they talk with one another. Once the marriage is sealed, the girl is brought into his family. She becomes the property of his family and his extended family. So when they give birth, their daughter, particularly their firstborn daughter, she's very precious. Because I suppose in Western terminology, we would say she's a return on the investment. Her bride price will now compensate the uncles for the money that they had given years earlier. So very often when we welcome a girl into our school, we'll often ask the girl, in which position are you born in your family? Are you the first born girl or the second born girl? Because if she's the first born girl, it will be very hard for her to finish her education unless her father has independent means, because his uncles paid for his wedding. Those uncles in turn want their cows back. So if they see the girl is mature enough, they will insist that the girl be married. And if he can compensate them with a few cows, they may be satisfied, but if he can't, then he is really vulnerable to them. So it's a big challenge in the culture uh, I know our girls, as they get more educated, they get a little bit more challenged by this because one of their common debates is we're not property. We're not objects to be sold. But it's more than that. I think, you know, if we understand in that way, we're limited. It's a bigger vision of a collectivist system that has worked for generations and for centuries. So again, you being Mabior, you'd be called after the favorite bull of the family. You were born maybe with white hair. Let me just give you the example. And the family decided that this is our favorite bull at the moment and you're the latest baby. So you get the name Abor. For me, I'm called Yom. I'm seen as a brown and a white faced cow. So our whole social life, let me say, revolves around our cows and our bulls. What would a typical bride price be? I mean, how many cows would be in a typical bride price? Now, in Rumbek, we're probably more into this than other Dinka areas. So in Rumbek, your average is probably 50 to 100. Exceptional case, we've had a few students married for over 250 cows. And then we've had other cases where girls were married for 20 or 30 cows. Interestingly, it's a huge economy, but we don't translate it into a cash economy. It's very interesting. It's very hard for a brother to sell a cow for his sister's education. 
it's very hard for someone to sell a cow for healthcare because this is more than their pension fund. This is like their whole identity and their social identity and their cultural identity and generations of it mixed in together. So it's quite a challenge for them. So when you first started the high school, wasn't that almost a direct challenge to their culture? Oh, yeah, we got into a lot of trouble. I seem to get into trouble all the time. I don't know how <laughs> I don't know how I do it. Even when I try not to get into trouble, I get into trouble. By virtue of educating girls in a culture where girls are not educated, it is already a challenge to the culture. There were a few challenges in the beginning. First of all, we were foreigners. We knew very little. Even though we had come and we had spent two years trying to learn the culture, I think that the longer you live in a culture, the more you realize you don't know about a culture or you have to learn. So the first challenge I had was we used to have a visiting day on a Sunday and you would expect a nuclear family coming from the West. You'd expect maybe two or three brothers, maybe, maybe a sister or whatever. But here, after six or seven weeks, I was discovering students were having visits from different brothers every week. And one girl in particular had a visit from 12 different brothers. So I called her aside one day and I said to her, are these really your brothers or what is it? And she said, you know, sister, there were two answers to the question. She said, in our culture, everybody is my brother. If he's my cousin, my first cousin, my second cousin, my third cousin, we call him brother. But he said, you know, we're polygamous in this culture. So my father actually has 50 wives and I have 192 brothers and sisters. I thought, mother of God. That was the first eye opener that I got. Needless to say, we stopped visiting Sundays and we reintroduced a different system <laughs> to facilitate family visits. But the other challenge was we realized that the father could bring the girl to school. The father could say he wanted the girl educated, but the uncles were the ones to come to take her out of school. And this became a big challenge to us. Initially, we didn't understand what was happening. So the girls used to go home and then we two they were married. But after a few years, we realized that actually this is the forced marriage. We talk about the forced marriage situation. It's the uncles that are coming looking for the girl to be taken out of school. Though the father has committed to us that she can stay, the uncles want the cows. So it becomes a big family challenge. Now we've got to the stage where we have a legal document. When the girl comes to the school, a male member of her family has to sign a legal document and he's held to it. We had a case last year where one of the guys was arrested by his extended family because he was the guarantor for the girl. But the extended family had not agreed for the girl to go to school. So the family arrested him. But good enough, we had the legal document. The case went to the governor's office. The guy was released and the girl was allowed to continue with her education. So things are changing. The girls themselves are also challenging it and they are wanting education and they are wanting a future because they believe that's the only way they're going to help their families in the long term. And from their standpoint, though, when you talk about girls coming back from college, you have really changed dramatically the core nature of their experience, haven't you? I wouldn't say that we would take the credit because these are girls that are pretty determined that this is what they want, that they want to be the change. I think their argument is that the bride price is paid their cows. Those cows get sick, they die, or they are given away. Who is going to support the children? Who is going to support the family long-term? And they're realizing that education is a long-term investment and that education generates an income for life. So a lot of the girls are beginning to see this. They're seeing the older graduates graduating. They're getting good jobs. I mean, South Sudan is running on 
NGOs. So there are opportunities for women. The government at 25%, there's talk of 40% jobs for women, but we don't have an educated class of women yet. So our girls are being snapped up when they get educated and the families are beginning to realize this is another way, this is another investment into the family and into the future. So they're radical, they're cheeky, they're brazen as well and wonderful that they have the courage to do it because really it takes a lot of courage for a girl to last that long in education. I guess I should mention, in 2015, there was declared one of the worst health emergencies in the world. And in 2017, there was a genuine famine. How do you function with that many different things going on? And unfortunately, it continues in different ways. I think the latest statistics were a country about the size of Texas with 11 million people, but we have 7 million who are food dependent or in need of food support. And we have 4 million that are displaced. That's 2 million in the country and 2 million outside the country. Those challenges continue. I kind of have a cynical answer in one sense and say that the people that we are working with have come through war. They've been born through war. They've, each generation has experienced a few years of peace, but they are real people of perseverance and they are real people that can cope under severe conditions. You and I wouldn't cope because we haven't been born into that, but they can. For us, our programs keep extending. We have a lovely program now with interns. We have now 30 interns working with us. They're male and female who have finished secondary school and they come back to work for a year or two before going to university. We found during coronavirus this year, Many of the ones that we had sent off to university all came back and we sat down. The schools had been closed by the government and we sat down with the clinic team and we asked the clinic team, what do you want to do? And they said, you know, coronavirus is only one challenge to us in this environment. Hunger, malnutrition and malaria are there all the time. So they said, what about we continue? We support them. So the graduates came back themselves and every day the clinic team with the graduates used to go out to the village and talk to the people. We gave some food support. We got a lot of support from our partners, some American partners. We have Sudan Relief Fund, CRS as well, and our own sisters in America as well. They partnered with us and we were able to give food support to the community. But our fundamental point is it's not just about food, it's about education. So the graduates were going out teaching hand washing. They were teaching about coronavirus. They were teaching about malaria. They were teaching about malnutrition and better nutrition. Because for us, we believe that you can feed a person for the day, but next week they're going to keep coming back for more and you just create a dependency. So the idea for us is educate. Let's find new ways and creative ways of helping the local community so that they're not dependent, that they're not coming to us all the time. But it is challenging and they are people who have suffered much in these years. That one is very obvious to me. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zip. 
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. You're surrounded by courage. You were born and grew up in Ireland. Did anything in that experience prepare you for this? I have four older brothers. I have four (laughs) older brothers who prepared me plenty. We came from a very good home. My mother in particular was very involved in social groups and in welfare groups, and she would have been very aware of people who were in need. So I would say from a young age, that message was clear that if you have, you share. And that was a value that probably has continued with me, that if we have something, we can share it with others who are close to us. And remember that it's not just about our own selves, but about others as well. Well, and if I remember correctly, when you talk about sharing and about having courage, weren't you at one point threatened while helping deliver a baby? There were many times when we've been threatened. I don't like to focus on myself when I talk about these things, because I think what our students have experienced is more than what we've ever experienced. When you do something against a culture or when people perceive that you're acting against a culture, there can be a threat to that. And the one thing I love about the Dinka culture is that we can be enemies today and tomorrow we will sit and make peace and be friends. There was one story of one of our students who just arrived into first year. She was 16. And again, our students can be a bit older because of the war. She was 16. She went home for her first home visit. And when she went home, she was taken by her family to the village to be married. She knew she didn't want to be married at 16. She was the only female in her extended family to be educated. She ran away and she tried to escape back into school. Now, you can imagine that in Western world where kids are escaping into school. She was on the road trying to get back into school. And unfortunately, a relative of hers was a policeman who was working the checkpoints and he found her. So she was taken back to the home and the family beat her and tied her up. And again, they threatened her. But again, she didn't give up. The next night, when she could find a quiet moment, she got a sister to help her and she escaped again back to school. And this time she hid for a few days in an unknown place. She has never revealed where she was until she came back to school. And when she came back to school, she said to me, I'm never going home again. 
I said to her, how can you say that? And she said, because I see the suffering of my people. She comes from a part of our area where there is no secondary school and where it's difficult to find educated men, let alone educated women. She said, the only way I'm going to help my extended family is by education. And she said, though I stay here for four years, she said, I don't mind. And she stayed and she continues to stay. Now, the tragic part of that story is she made peace with her father about three months ago. Her father eventually came to the school and we had a very good meeting with the father and he accepted that this was going to be her way. She's now 18. He accepted that there was pressure on him. She is his firstborn daughter. He accepted there was pressure on him, but now he realizes that she is doing well in school. She's looking well, she's talking well, and she can do something for the community. According to the local culture, he handed her over to us. And we had a very beautiful moment with him. That man sadly was killed in his home three weeks later. So the girl went back into a whole spiral of, why am I here and what did I do? But after another few weeks, she has come back. Now she is the person to try and advise her mother and to advise her followers to live in peace. Because one of the problems of our culture is revenge. We tend to be people of revenge. And if someone is killed, we want to revenge for that person. But she is saying to the family, what is the value in revenging? She said, if we revenge, somebody else is going to revenge. So for me, people like her are extraordinary examples of courage and adversity in the face of whatever small things I might have experienced. We have families coming with guns. We have families coming to try and beat us. But, you know, we have staff who support us. So we're never really in the firing line. But they are. The girls are. They're beaten at home. They're threatened. Uh, and they have to sneak away to go to school. I love telling that story to students in Western world who don't want to be in school. I have students who sneak into school so that they can learn. It is amazing, isn't it? And also a sign that they see something we've no longer able to get across to our own young people. They see education as the future. Absolutely extraordinary. I mean, the latest statistics in South Sudan is, I think 37% of girls may go to primary school, but about 17% may finish primary school. About 4% of girls may go to secondary school, but maybe 1% to 2% may finish secondary school. So it's a privilege. It's an absolute privilege for girls. I think the UN had a statistic a few years ago, and I don't know if it's still true, but it was certainly true about five years ago. A 15-year-old girl in South Sudan is more likely to die in childbirth than to finish secondary school. I mean, that's a very stark reality for the life that we're living here. But I thank God for the girls that we work with because they're absolutely determined, headstrong, that they are going to be educated and that they are going to make a change for their country, for their families, for themselves, because they see that that's the only way to improve things into the future. You know, listening to you and the courage that you give to your students, but you also obviously live. I remember in 2019, you got the State Department International Women of Courage Award. Sitting down there in Rumbek, what was your first thought when you heard you were going to receive that award in Washington? I actually thought it was a joke. <laughs> that was my first thought. And then I thought, no, it's right. But it's not right for me to accept it. It's right for the girls to accept it. Because when I see what they've endured, hands up to them. I've experienced nothing to what they have experienced. When you live in a culture that is set in a particular way, and you come along as a young person at 15 and 16 years of age and say, I want to do something different. And I am ready to sacrifice everything for that. I mean, that to me is absolute courage, the epitome of courage. And they are ready to do absolutely anything for it. As sisters, I suppose the joke of it all was our moving here was known as the courage to move. 
And yes, in many ways, people might say that we were courageous and brave and whatever. But, you know, I was a young sister and I was adventurous and I was only dying to get to South Sudan. I had looked at the map and it was part of Sudan by then. I looked at all these countries, Kenya, Uganda, Congo. I won't say about some of the other neighboring countries like Eritrea and Libya because they were more challenging at the time. But I was all excited. I thought, this is great. I'm going to see the world. I never thought of a personal cost to me. But I see that personal cost every day with our girls and the challenges that they have within their own families and within the culture, that in order for them to be educated, they have to stand against their local culture. I know that when Calista both nominated you and then when you and she were in Washington together, she really felt it was an honor both to know you and through you to know the girls and to realize what you are trying to accomplish. And it's really been a remarkable commitment on your part Do you have any regrets about having spent this much of your life in South Sudan? Absolutely not. My regret might have been that I didn't come when I was younger. I came when I was 34, but already I think 34 is hard to learn new culture, new languages. No, never. There's never a day when I would regret. Absolutely not. I have loved it. And I pray, God, that I will continue for many more years here because for me, it's a great mission. But more than a great mission, I have just loved it. Every day I have loved it. That said, you see the worst of yourself and the best of yourself in a mission like this. It is very humbling to work with the people that I work with every day. Very, very humbling. And I realize often how selfish I am or how self-centered I am. But then you go out to work with young people and you see these young women of vision and courage and ambition. And it's just wonderful every day. How can listeners help you with your mission in life? I always say to people, there are a number of ways you can help. The first way I would say to people is learn about South Sudan. Don't forget about South Sudan. And I don't mean just learn about the bad things of South Sudan. Learn about the good things of South Sudan. I think many of us in Western world, we consider Africa and we lump it into one ball. South Sudan is so rich. It has 64 different ethnic groups. And as I said, it's the size of Texas. So it's a hugely rich environment. And I would encourage people to learn more about these countries. The second thing I would say is pray. We do have challenges still in the country and pray for our young people in particular because really they need a lot of support. And the third way always I love saying is we need your money. Please dig deep and give your money. Am I allowed to say that, Mabior? Yes, in fact, I'd like you to tell them where they can send <laughs> Okay, we have a website. It's www.loretto.rumbeck. That's L-O-R-E-T-O. R-U-M-B-E-K dot I-E. It's an Irish server. Loretta Rumbeck, if you Google it, you'll find the website. And on it, we have a link to donations and we have a link to emails as well. So you can contact us directly as well. We'd be very grateful for any support. So, and then we will put that on our show page so people can find it and can get in touch with you directly. Now, will you be celebrating Christmas? Yes, we put the Christmas tree up here only the other day, two days ago. Definitely celebrating Christmas. We do it differently. Goat is our festive meet. So we have actually 25 students with us for Christmas. These are girls that live far or because of the threat of marriage, they are not able to go home. So we have 25 girls for Christmas and we hope to kill a fatted goat and to celebrate nicely with that. That's great. It might sound very appealing to you, but we just love the thought of it. Oh, I think that's terrific. No, I think it's wonderful. So all I can say brown cow with a white face, is that (laughs) you have a remarkable mission. You are doing amazing work. Every time I talk with you, I'm humbled by your courage and by your generosity and focusing on others. 
not being focused on your own ego, but rather on helping the people that you serve and that you work with. And I hope that our listeners will take seriously the opportunity to make this a slightly better Christmas by providing help. And I can assure them, having known you and talked with you many times now, that you will use the resources wisely and that people's lives will be better because of their generosity. So thank you very, very much for sharing with us. New thanks to you. I should call you Mabor now that you have your new Dinka name. And also greetings to our ambassador, Gingrich, and to all of you, wherever you are. We wish you all a very happy Christmas from all of us in South Sudan. Thank you so much. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers, our producer is Garnsey Sloan, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Kendall. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. If you haven't heard, it's a good idea to fit probiotics into your daily routine. Fortunately, Nature's Way women's probiotic pearls make that so easy. These adorable little pearls couldn't be easier to take, and they support both digestive and vaginal health, all because of the probiotics. There are actually 1 billion active cultures protecting against occasional bloating, constipation, and digestive discomfort, all in one tiny little pearl. To learn more about Nature's Way women's probiotic pearls and how they can fit into your routine, visit naturesway.com.